Hi, everyone. Welcome aboard Dave Therry and New Hope Radio. Did you ever think about the progression of certain things? I mean, in order to do one thing, you first must do something else. For example, before you eat a meal, you got to kill something, cook it, then eat it. Before you make a cake, you got to mix the ingredients and then cook them. If you want to get a job, you got to learn about the job, apply what you learn, get that job. Before you tie your shoes, you got to put your shoes on your feet. This applies to the message that Jesus brought. You know the message he brought? Very simple. Come then go. That was it. That's his message. Come, then go. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5 today, and we're going to see a principle of coming close and then going far. Okay? I call it launching out into the deep. I'd like for us to see today that the Christian life is not in coming close and then staying close, as many do. But it's more than that. Because the reason that we come close is so that we can go far. Okay? That's what it's about. We come close so we can go far. Now, let's see how this works as we learn what it means to launch out into the deep. What did I say we were? Luke chapter 5? I think so. Yeah. Okay. We'll pick it up in verse 1. Now, it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him, remember that, the crowd pressing around him, but it was for a good reason. Oh, yeah. They were listening to the Word of God. And I wish people had that kind of fervor for the Word of God today. Every church has some of them. They get to church early. And then there are those, the fervor is waning. They get to church late. But these people, oh yeah, they wanted it. They were pressing in to Jesus. He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, sometimes the lake of Gennesaret is also called the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias, same body of water. It's 13 miles long, 8 miles wide. Shaped kind of like a distorted violin. (laughs) And it's 680 feet, wow, below sea level. And that area was very heavily populated in Jesus' day. The land of Gennesaret was a very fertile plain on the west side of the lake. Interesting name. The root words, it's compound word, kinor, which means harp, because of its, some say, because the fruit that grew in that area was sweet as the sound of a harp, or maybe because of the sound of the waves pleasantly breaking on the shore. It was like a harp. I called it the shape of a violin. Kind of, I was wrong. Yeah, a harp is more like it, I guess. Then another part of the word is the word gan, which means garden. And then sar, which means prince. So they they would call it the prince of gardens. And Asher, 
speaks of riches, and it's the riches of the garden. So what we're saying is, that was a great place. It was a beautiful place. Fertile, things grew, peaceful. Oh yeah, nice place to have church. Certainly was. So again, it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God. Now again, the time of human history was a time when people were hungry. They were hungry for hope. And that hope was in God. Because they were under tremendous Roman oppression, heavy taxes. Many of them lived at the poverty line or below. And yet, there was a stirring in the hearts of the people that something was going to happen. Oh, they figured this is it. They could like feel it in the air. God was going to break in. And isn't that just like similar for us today? That today we have a a hunger for hope. That we're waiting for God to, to break in, aren't we? I heard on the news recently that the migration of Muslims into European nations is the largest, largest migration of people in human history. There's a changing to the landscape of the world. That's why I've got some beatitudes that I came up with. Want to hear them? Blessed are you if you are aware of the times that we are living in. Blessed are you if you have a stirring in your heart for God. Blessed are you when you know that hope is only found in God's Word. We've got to value the Word of God. And that's what these people did. They wanted to hear Jesus. That's all. They believed that when Jesus spoke, they were listening to the voice of God. So in verse 2, Jesus saw two boats lying on the edge of the lake, but no fishermen. Huh. They had gotten out of the boats, and they were washing their nets. Now, to me, net washing signifies a couple of things. Number one, the workday comes to an end. It's over. When you're done fishing, you wash your nets. Now, how many people that are listening to me know that? How many of you really know that the workday does come to an end? I mean, do you really know it? It does end. And if if God meant for us to work around the clock, the sun would never set. And you know what? I think personally, I'm, I'm kind of paying for that myself, having times when the workday didn't end. Because I've jeopardized family time when my kids were little. I was working, working, working. Thinking, oh, this is great. I'm serving God. No. Unbalanced. Wasn't right. I didn't know that the workday came to an end. I know it now. The kids are grown. But everybody has to realize, there's a time to work. There's a time to play. There's a time to rest. There's a time to... Everything's balanced. It's a balanced life. The other thing that washing signifies is that it prepares you for the next day. See, the fisherman, he wants to begin the next day with a clean net. Well, that way he doesn't have to waste time getting ready. He wants to get right out there fishing. Hey, if the fish are biting, right? I don't want to go clean my nets and wash my boat. I want to be ready. So at the end of the fishing time, 
They wash the boats, they clean the nets, and now they are ready to go. Now, let me modernize this for you a little bit. If your mornings are stressful, and that can be sometimes, right? Think about what you can do the day before in preparation for the coming morning. Your morning doesn't have to be stressful and running around and trying to get everything done. You know what you do? Put gas in the car the day before. Nothing, a bad feeling, and I've had it too. Driving to work on empty. That's no fun. <laughs> That's no good. You know, Put gas in the car the day before. Eliminate that problem. Number two, get your clothes ready the day before. Don't be standing around and looking at your closet. Uh, what did I wear today? What did I wear yesterday? Get your kids' clothes ready. Sometimes that's the toughest things, getting the kids ready. It's a simple, prepare your lunch the day before. Make the kids' lunches the day before. See, whatever you can do the day before you need it, do it. Eliminate stress. That's what net washing teaches me. Prepare for the coming day. It's only natural that people, because they're so stressed out, they medicate themselves with comfort food. You know why? Because the word stressed, spelt backwards, is desserts. <laughs> oh, yeah. They go well together. Just flip it around. You'll have some chocolate cake and ice cream. That'll help medicate me. Okay. So verse 3. Jesus got into one of the boats, and it belonged to Simon. You know, Simon, Simon Peter. And he asked him, put out a little way from the land. And then Jesus sat down. And he began teaching the people from the boat. He said, put out a little way from the land. Why? Because remember, he wanted to stay close to the people for the purpose of teaching them, and they could hear him. But like we read earlier, the crowd was pressing in on him, and it was making it difficult for him to speak. So he needed to get a little space. Peter, let me get in your boat and just push out a few feet. Just enough of the people, they don't want to get wet. I've got to keep them over there, and I'll teach them. So they were kind of crowding him. They were too close. And and Jesus said he wanted to teach them. You know what the word teaches? Didasco. And it means to teach for the purpose of their learning. Now, you might say, well, duh, yeah, of course, but wait a minute. There's a lot of teaching going on today, and the majority of it, is entertainment. Now, nothing against entertaining teachers. I think it's if you can be entertaining, that's good. But entertainment is not the goal. Learning is the goal. So if you can entertain, hold their attention, and still impart knowledge, that's good. That's very good. But it's not... See, nowadays, teaching is very motivational. It's like a motivational speech. Church isn't even church that much anymore. You know, you walk into the assembly hall, you sing a few songs, you have a motivational speech, and you go home. And is it really worship toward God? Is there prayer in the house of God? Are Bible stories being taught? Are people learning the Old Testament stories and then deriving lessons for everyday life? Are they learning the Gospels? And deriving lessons. Are they learning the Bible stories? Are they learning the epistles and who they were written to and why? 
and how we can make application. I see a lot of teaching today that has scriptures to support it, but I don't see Bible learning. We've got to be careful that we don't become illiterate when it comes to the Word of God, just grabbing scriptures out of the air and supporting a message with a scripture. We need expository teaching, line upon line. We need to learn verse by verse. Why? We need to learn the parables and the stories and, and, and the miracles and all of the Old Testament accounts. That's the greatest way to learn. And they're incredible stories. God's word about God's people. So Jesus is in the boat, and he gave them their lessons. I wonder what he taught. Well, we have a record of some of the things in the Gospels. He taught them all kinds of things. He taught them how to be blessed. He taught them how to have good relationships, how to be good workers. He taught them about the kingdom of God. Oh, he, he, he taught a lot about end times events. Oh, yes, he did. He taught about hell, taught about heaven, taught about money, taught about children, taught a lot. In three years, he covered everything that needed to be covered. Think about it. He taught the things people needed to know for this life and for the life to come. So the people came close. And he gave his lessons. And now it's time to launch out. So in verse 4, when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water. Let down your nets for a catch. Now, maybe Jesus was going to pay rent for the use of Peter's boat. I don't know. Why does Jesus want to go fishing? Maybe he wants to help out Peter. Peter Peter helped him. So when Jesus said, put out into the deep, he said, it means like, launch out. Okay, Peter, let's drag this boat off the sand. Let the nets back in the boat. I know they're nice and clean. Perfect. Let's go. And let's row out there. And let's see what's going on. Go out into the deep water. Deep water is the word bathos. And it means deep water. Figuratively, it speaks of that which is a mystery. You know, something's deep, it's mysterious, right? So what does it mean to launch out into the deep? Well, I believe when you launch out into the deep and it's mysterious, there is excitement, there's surprise, danger. Think about launching out into the deep, into the ocean. Excited about going way, way down deep to the bottom of the ocean. Then there's a surprise when this giant white man-eating shark faces you. (laughs) And there's danger. Do you look like a fish to him? huh? And then there's a reward. Maybe you find the treasure chest down there. It's full of gold. So, but latching out into the deep means something good could happen. But first you have to be up close to get the teaching. And then you go far. The Simon said to Jesus, Oh, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. See, in those days, a lot of times they fished at night. And they caught nothing. He said, there's no fish out here. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. I like that. Peter said, listen, we're, we're, we're pretty good fishermen. 
we got nothing, but if you say, let's go fishing, let's go fishing. I like people that like to do what God says to do. They're good to be around. A lot gets done. You know, that there's two kinds of people. Those that don't do what God says to do, and those that do. Those that do get it done. Those that don't, don't get it done. So in verse 6, they did it. And when they had done this, what? They enclosed a great quantity of fish. And you know what it says? They had so much fish that their nets began to break. Wow. Wow. And it goes on to say that they had to call out to another boat to help them bring in the catch. It was too heavy for these guys to pull in. They needed another boat to come alongside. Come on, you guys, help us pull this in. We'll give you half the fish. Help us bring it in. And they did. That's incredible. What a scene this was. But the point is, what does this teach us? What does this teach us? I discovered a few things. Number one, Jesus can see what we cannot. That's true. He can see what we cannot. I don't, I don't think he created fish right there on the spot. I don't think he, you know, just, okay, fish. No. You know what I think? I think he could see where they were. You know where they were? Way out in the deep. Peter, I mean, you guys are just fishing in the wrong place. That's all. The fish were there, but you were fishing in the wrong place. It's like that song, looking for love in all the wrong places. These guys are looking for fish in all the wrong places. So we need to develop the spiritual eye that really sees. We need to learn to see what Jesus sees in this life. And you can, because you've got the Holy Spirit and you've got God's word. Let's face it. Think about it. Countless people saw steam come out of a steam kettle. But only James Watt went on to think of a steam engine. Many people saw apples fall from trees. But only Isaac Newton thought out the law of gravity. You see, these guys had eyes to see. And we as God's people, we need to have eyes to see. Eyes to see the way God sees. To see what God sees. That's what we need. We need a divine perspective toward life. And how do we get it? From God's Word. Much good is done in the world by people who have an eye to see. They see what needs to be done, and they do it. You know, we live in a day and age when people see uh, something bad happening. They take out their phone and they they video it. Hey, there's a guy drowning in the river. Look, video him. Not thinking, well, why don't you go jump in and save them? No, we're getting it on film. <laughs> what is wrong with us these days? Second thing we learn, there is a spirit that makes an effort. And Peter had it. Peter had that spirit of what? Working hard. Peter had a good work ethic. And you know what? I believe a good work ethic glorifies God. Laziness in the life of the Christian, that's a stain on God's name. But a good work ethic, that brings glory to God. Peter said, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. 
But he said, Lord, if you want me to do it, I'm in. Let's go. You know the problem today? Many people give up one effort too soon. I got this. I bought this book. I think I paid like a dollar. It's called Goliath. The Life of Robert Shuler. I found it to be one of the most inspiring books I've ever read. Another inspiring book I read was the biography of uh, Charles Spurgeon. That was awesome. But this book, I couldn't put it down. Goliath, The Life of Robert Shuler. And it's, it talks about when he was a young boy. And they lived out in the Midwest. And um, a tornado came through town, just like the one that happened in Kentucky and the neighboring states recently. And it took out all the houses in the town. And you know what everybody did? They all just packed up and moved away. And Robert Shuler's father, he said, you know, son, we're not quitting and we're not leaving. And they went out and they collected all the wood from the house. It was all destroyed. And they pulled out all the nails of all the boards. They straightened out all the nails and they rebuilt their house. I'm going to tell you something. When things like that happen, you have two choices. You can quit or you can rebuild. They chose to rebuild. To me, that's Peter saying, we fished all night and caught nothing, but I will do whatever you say. And we're going fishing. Jesus, if you want to go fishing, let's go fishing. See, there's a spirit in a man that creates in him a good work ethic. And then thirdly, there's a spirit that will attempt what seems hopeless. And perhaps that was that scene in Robert Shuler's life. Man, this is hopeless. All we got is a pile of rubble. And from that pile of rubble, they rebuilt their house. And Peter said, we worked hard all night, but you know what? I'll do whatever you say. And it was hopeless. He said, man, we've been fishing these waters. There's no fish out there. But he went anyway. He walked into a hopeless situation and God delivered. Too often we walk into situations and we don't like what we see and we walk away. Or too often we wait for an opportune time. No, I'll wait another day when the fish come back. But you see, God is bigger than that. Like I said, he can see what we cannot see. And if you wait for perfect circumstances, you won't even begin. You'll never begin. You'll never start. If you want a breakthrough, come closer. Come closer to Jesus and get the teaching. And then take him at his word. Abide in what he says. And then when he says, launch out, launch out. Go. Go. Launch out into the deep of God's will. You know what we find there? The path for our lives. Launch out into the deep of the Holy Spirit, where we find the power that we need to walk that path. Launch out to where Jesus calls us to. Because wherever Jesus calls you to, there's going to be 
an abundant catch. Jesus doesn't call you to something where the end result is nothing. He calls you to something, excuse me, he calls you to something where the end result is glorious. And by sight, in the very beginning, it might not look glorious, it might look hopeless, but there's where we're going to trust God. And when he calls you out, it might be exciting, it might be surprising, even dangerous, but it will certainly be rewarding. So there it is. You know, we as Christians, we've all come close to the Lord. But we didn't come close to the Lord for the purpose of staying there. We came close for the purpose of launching out into the deep. We don't know what's out there. And it might not even look that promising. But you know what we do? We take him at his word. And you can trust God. And you can trust him for his word. And he will deliver. Whatever that is, I don't know. I don't know what that is. But I think Peter is a great example of what it means to walk out into something that has already failed and give it another attempt. Robert Shuler's dad, same thing. Walk into a disaster and say, you know what? I am bigger. My God is bigger than this disaster. And we will rebuild. Maybe some of you need to apply that to a marriage. Your marriage is a disaster, but you know what? Don't throw it away. Rebuild. Pull out the nails. Straighten out what's crooked. And rebuild. And God promises. Oh, God delivers. He certainly does. He delivers every time. We just have to take him at his word. And that's, see, as Christians, isn't that what we do? Isn't that how we're known? We're known for people. We're known as, we're, we're word of God people. That's what we are. We get our marching orders from God's word. So we have no reason not to launch out where Jesus sends us. I kind of like that one today. (laughs) I liked it. Hey, we're going to come back next time. We're going to take a look at broken things. Oh, the Lord loves broken things. You ever feel broken? Of course you have. In your brokenness, you can emit sweetness to God. Like crushing a rose, the fragrance goes up. Let's see how that works tomorrow. Thank you for joining me today. Hey, if these programs help you, I'm just asking. Send me an email, Radio, the number seven at gmail.com. Let me know if it's helping you and what messages you like, what kind of messages you like, and um, hopefully I'll hear from you. I'll see you next time for more of New Hope Radio.